It's Friday, November the 20th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by Raytheon Technologies. Coming up, Turkey yanks interest rates up and WHO talks Remdesivir down. First, the world in brief. Turkey's central bank raised interest rates from 10.25% to 15%. The increase is intended to steady the lira and to help tame an annual inflation rate that has hit nearly 12% in recent months. It is also a sign that President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, previously a staunch opponent of high rates, is serious about stabilising his country's currency. Donald Trump's efforts to forestall or subvert the election of President-elect Joe Biden grew more antic. Georgia finished recounting its 5 million ballots by hand at Republicans' insistence and confirmed that Mr Biden had won the state. Meanwhile, Mr Trump reportedly tried to wheedle Michigan's Republican officials into refusing the formality of certifying their state's vote for Mr Biden. Mike Pompeo, America's Secretary of State, called campaigns to boycott Israel anti-Semitic. Mr Pompeo was visiting Jewish settlements in the West Bank and the Israeli-occupied Golan Heights, becoming the first top American diplomat to do so. Last year, President Donald Trump recognised Israel's sovereignty over the territory captured from Syria in 1967, breaking with previous American policy and the international consensus. Without apparent justification, the head of Ethiopia's army accused Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, the World Health Organization's direct general, of trying to procure arms and diplomatic backing for the Tigray People's Liberation Front. This month, civil war broke out between the TPLF, which rules the northern region of Tigray, and federal forces. Dr Tedros, an Ethiopian national of Tigrayan descent, denied taking sides. The WHO itself advised against using remdesivir to treat COVID-19. The antiviral was the first drug to be approved to fight the disease by America's Food and Drug Administration. The WHO found no evidence it works. More promisingly, a vaccine developed by AstraZeneca and Oxford University was confirmed to be effective in older people. Full trial results are expected soon. America's Centers for Disease Control and Prevention urged people to refrain from travelling for Thanksgiving celebrations. The CDC said it was alarmed to count 1 million new cases of COVID-19 racked up in one week. The number of Americans hospitalized jumped nearly 50% in the past 14 days. California's governor imposed a 10pm curfew over most of the state. And Tyson Krupp said it would cut 5,000 more jobs after revealing a cash flow loss of 5.5 billion euros, 6.5 billion dollars, in the year to September. The struggling German industrial conglomerate has been hit by falling steel prices and lower demand for components from European car makers. The firm's share price has fallen by four fifths in the past three years. And now here's today's agenda The Bitter End. America's Presidential Transition Donald Trump has never been one to back down, but by refusing to concede the presidency to Joe Biden, he is trampling over democratic norms. His claims of electoral fraud appear baseless, and while he stalls, Mr Biden is being denied access to classified briefings and secure governmental communications. Nor can the turnover of civil servants that usually takes place during a presidential transition proceed, some 4,000 are political appointees. Although only a handful of Republicans have acknowledged Mr Biden's victory, at some point reality will intervene. The Electoral College will formally vote on December 14th to make Mr Biden the next president. But even if Mr Trump cannot overturn the result, his belligerence will have a lasting effect on American politics. 
According to The Economist's latest poll from YouGov, 88% of Trump voters think the election result is illegitimate. The myth of the stolen presidency will add a dangerous strain to America's factionalism. Vaccine Wars Brazil and China The shipment of 46 million doses of China's Sinovac COVID-19 vaccine to Brazil's most populous state, Sao Paulo, will not please President Jair Bolsonaro. The first 120,000 doses arrived yesterday, though the vaccine is still in its final stage trials. Sao Paulo's governor, João Doria, promises not to use the jabs until Brazil's regulator approves them. The vaccine has led to a showdown between Mr Doria, who is building a facility to produce 100 million more doses a year, and Mr Bolsonaro, who is sceptical of the vaccine's safety. Mr Bolsonaro, a critic of China, claimed victory on Facebook last week when the trial was suspended because a participant committed suicide, although this was determined to be unrelated to the vaccine. The federal government is in talks with other pharmaceutical companies, including Pfizer. Brazil needs all the jabs it can get. It has the world's third highest number of cases and the second highest death toll. Unlike Dubuque, the G20 meets. Despite the pomp, a G20 summit of leaders from the world's biggest economies is not that different from a trade show in Dubuque, Iowa. So said Barack Obama in a recent interview with The Atlantic. It has the tchotchkes and the cheesiness, and the pens are disappointing. When Saudi Arabia assumed the G20's rotating presidency in December, it hoped this weekend's summit would help rehabilitate its international image after the gruesome murder of Jamal Khashoggi, a prominent journalist, in its Istanbul consulate in 2018. But the COVID-19 pandemic has reduced the event to a virtual meeting. Its most notable achievement may be to endorse a common framework to coordinate the G20's response to requests for debt relief from 73 of the world's poorest countries. They owed G20 governments over $160 billion between them at the end of 2019. The pandemic has increased the pressure to cross out some of those zeros. Let's hope the pens work. Don't blow it. A travel bubble experiment. Of all the industries mauled by COVID-19, travel may be the most maimed. Tourism's collapse could deprive the global economy of $4.7 trillion this year and cost 174 million jobs. So governments are desperate to restart international travel. This weekend, Hong Kong and Singapore launched the world's most comprehensive air travel bubble, with travellers able to fly between the two cities without having to quarantine and without restrictions on what they may do upon arrival. Both destinations have the virus under control and trust one another's testing regimes. Nonetheless, visitors must take two COVID-19 tests, one before they fly and another on touchdown. Numbers will initially be restricted and the scheme will be suspended should either city average more than five untraceable infections a day. Loosening border restrictions in Europe failed because the virus's prevalence was too high and test and trace systems too lax, probably supercharging the continent's second wave. The world will watch this latest attempt with hope. Not many happy returns. Bosnia and Herzegovina. 25 years ago tomorrow, Bosniak, Croat and Serb leaders struck a deal at an airbase in Dayton, Ohio to end a devastating three-and-a-half-year conflict. The agreement saved Bosnia and Herzegovina as a country. Ever since, doomsters have periodically warned that it was on the brink of war again. Although no conflict has broken out, Bosnia is an unhappy country. 
there will be no celebrations tomorrow. It is poor. Half of its young people want to leave, and its main Serb leader constantly threatens secession. And yet, despite the complicated ethnically-based administrative system enshrined at Dayton, its politics can be surprisingly conciliative. A Serb has just been elected mayor of the centre of Sarajevo, which was besieged by Serbs during the war. And Bosniaks reliably vote to elect the Croat representative on the country's tripartite presidency. Rather than lamenting the lack of festivities, many Bosnians will just be relieved to have reached this anniversary. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Leo Tolstoy, who passed away on this day in 1910. Pure and complete sorrow is as impossible as pure and complete joy. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.